One of the most popular excuses people in society have for not going to church is the saying, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Right. The church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Sadly, there is sometimes quite a bit of truth in that statement. One of the reasons is because, and it may shock you to hear this, but Scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches us, that Satan specifically plants hypocrites in the church to be a confusion to people on the outside. Satan knows how damaging it is when people claim to be followers of Christ or pretend to be followers of Christ but live hypocritical lives. So he purposely puts people like that in churches to give unsaved people an excuse for not going to hear the Word of God. That is a masterful plan of attack that Satan has. Jesus had his Judas and Paul had his Demas. And that pattern has continued down through the ages because Jesus said there will always be tares among the wheat. Satan loves to have people who aren't really committed to Christ hang around the church because when they display their hypocrisy, it gives unbelievers an excuse to reject the gospel of Christ. But that's not the only reason why the saying, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, has gained so much traction. Another reason is because those of us who truly do know Christ as Lord and Savior sometimes, sadly, behave hypocritically. It's not that we are purposeful hypocrites, but if we are not careful, we can lapse into hip hypocrisy. We can very easily slide into hypocrisy. Peter and Barnabas are two prime examples if you know what Scripture says about those two men, those two men truly did love the Lord. They wanted to obey the Lord. They wanted to please the Lord with their lives. But there was an occasion, as recorded in Galatians 2, when they began behaving hypocritically around the Jews and the Gentiles. And it got to the point that the Apostle Paul had to address the matter with them. Now, it wouldn't be accurate to say that Peter and Barnabas were purposeful hypocrites or intentional hypocrites. But like all of us, they lapsed into hypocrisy in their behavior in a specific circumstance or situation. We all have to guard against that because it's so easy for us to claim one thing but behave in such a way that our actions or our words are being hypocritical. For example, if you claim to be a Christian and others around you know that you are a Christian, but just as an illustration, let's say you lose your temper over something and you end up cussing or swearing, people are going to say that you're a hypocrite. That's just one illustration, and there are many more that could be added as examples. When you claim to be a Christian, and others around you know that you claim to be a Christian, there is a high degree of responsibility that comes with the territory. 
People watch how you act, how you react, how you talk, how you do business, and a host of other things in your life. So it is possible to truly know Christ as Lord and Savior, yet sometimes behave hypocritically. But that's not the same thing as being an intentional hypocrite. I mention all of this because in the passage we're going to consider this morning, Jesus confronts the intentional hypocrites of his day. These were not people who loved him and desired to obey him, but slipped into hypocritical behavior on occasion. No, these were, these were people who lived lives of constant hypocrisy. Specifically, they claimed to be followers of God, but their hearts were far from him. Let's turn together to Mark chapter 12 as we conclude this remarkable chapter of Mark's gospel in our ongoing series through it. So please follow along as I read verses 38 through 44 of Mark chapter 12. Mark tells us, Then Jesus said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense or for an appearance, for appearance' sake, make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Even though we are heading into a new text here this morning, it's important that we see the connection between this text and the one that we looked at last Lord's Day. You will remember that in chapters 11 and 12 of Mark's Gospel, we have a record of the constant onslaught Jesus faced from various religious groups within first century Israel. These groups included the Pharisees, the Herodians, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the scribes. These religious groups hated Jesus, and they were trying everything they could think of to either discredit him with the people in general so that people would stop listening to him, or if they couldn't discredit him, maybe even willing to go further and destroy him. Therefore, they bombarded him with questions in an attempt to entrap him in some way. But Jesus weathered the storm and was able to, ever, able to answer every question they threw at him and avoid every trap they threw before him. Finally, when he decided that enough was enough, he asked one of these groups a question of his own. He asked them, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. Jesus asked that question to make, to make them face the fact that their own scriptures, the Old Testament, 
indicated that the Messiah would not only be from the line of David, human, but also divine. Jesus proved this in a masterful way from Psalm 110. His presentation rendered the scribes and Pharisees speechless. There was nothing they could say. The only proper response would have been to believe in Jesus and submit to him. But that they were utterly unwilling to do. That is what brings about this warning here at the end of Mark chapter 12. But it's important to realize this is not all Jesus said on this occasion. In addition to this warning, we also know that Jesus unleashed a blistering condemnation on the scribes and Pharisees because it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 23. The scribes and the Pharisees, who were the primary religious leaders in Israel, had all the proof they needed to believe in Jesus. They had more than enough evidence. They had seen the works of Jesus for three years, and they had heard the words of Jesus for three years. But they willfully chose to reject him, not in ignorance, but with full knowledge. Jesus was a threat to their positions and their power. So even though they couldn't refute what he had to say, and even though they couldn't deny the truthfulness of what he had to say, they blatantly chose to reject him. That is why Jesus has such strong words for them here at the end of Mark 12 and also in Matthew 23. They claim to be the followers of God. They claim to be the representatives of God. But the fact of the matter was their hearts were far from him. By the way, that is the true definition of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we pretend to be what we are not. It's important that we understand that definition. Hypocrisy is not a failure to be all that we want to be or all that we should be as Christians. We all fall short of that. Hopefully we all recognize that we fall short of that. Hypocrisy, on the other hand, is deliberate deception. It is trying to make people think we are more spiritual than we really are. That is exactly what the scribes and Pharisees had perfected. Let me show you this back in Matthew chapter 15 before we look at our text here in Mark 12. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> here in this chapter, Jesus also rebuked the scribes and Pharisees, for their hypocrisy. We'll pick it up in verse 3. Matthew 15, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who puts or curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, you say, whoever says to his father or mother, Mom, Dad, whatever profit you might have received from me, whatever I might have used to help you out in your time of need, whatever I might have used for that purpose is actually been committed to the Lord. Doesn't that sound really spiritual? Whatever profit you might receive from me is a gift to God. And by saying this, you think that he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect 
by your tradition. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This passage shows us that hypocrisy is a deliberate manipulation of things to cloak ourselves in spirituality when our hearts really aren't interested in obeying the Lord at that point, whatever it may be, whatever the specific issue may be. Hypocrisy is saying, well, I'd like to be, this is just an example, I'd like to be a better husband or wife, but my God-given obligations take up too much of my time and energy to be the kind of spouse that God wants me to be. Or another example. Hypocrisy is saying, I'd like to to be at church on Sunday, but I have to get my sleep to be what God wants me to be the rest of the week. Hypocrisy is saying, oh, I'd like to give faithfully and generously to the Lord's work, but if I don't have all the things my neighbors have, then I might be a poor testimony to them. Hypocrisy is when we don't want to do what God wants us to do in some specific area of life, whatever it happens to be, So we come up with clever spiritual reasons to get around doing it. This is an age-old problem. The prophet Isaiah even addressed it way back in his day by quoting from the Lord God of Israel himself here in verse 8. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's the essence of the matter. When our hearts are not near to the Lord in the sense of wanting to do what He wants us to do, but we say all the right things with our words, we're acting hypocritically. When our hearts are not near to the Lord in the sense of wanting to be what He wants us to be, but we say all the right things with our words, very spiritually sounding words, then we are acting hypocritically. And beloved, it is so easy for us to be like this. It's so easy for us to have hearts that just don't want to do what God wants us to do in a specific area of life. But we're not willing to be honest about it before God and before ourselves. So we cloak it in some spiritual sounding words. We convince ourselves that it's it's not really a spiritual problem because after all, look at all the things I am doing right Have you ever okayed yourself by thinking that way? Sure you have, and so have I. We justify ourselves by dismissing our disobedience in a specific area of life because we can point to several other areas where we are are obeying the Lord. But understand, that doesn't let us off the hook. Look at it this way. If someone were making you a scrumptious meal with several luscious ingredients? Would it be a problem for you if a fly happened to get mixed up in the recipe? Sure it would. But it's only one little issue mixed up with all those other good things. Surely all those other good things overrule that one little fly. It's no big deal. That's not the way you would view it. And that's not the way God views our attempts to dismiss our disobedience in this area of life or that area of life, wherever it is, by reminding ourselves of all the areas where we are doing the right thing. It's so easy to say, oh, I go to church and I sing the songs and 
I say the prayers and I put some money in the offering plate and I even give some of my time during the week. So it's no big deal that I am not doing this thing that God tells me I ought to be doing during the week. It is a big deal because it's a heart issue. As verse 9 says, this is, again, remember, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Oh, what an indicting statement. In vain they worship me. Do you hear what God is saying? Beloved, you and I don't have the right to play the substitute game. We don't have the right to disregard God's commands in this area of life, whatever it happens to be, by substituting our own teachings or doctrines in their place. We don't have the right to placate ourselves by coming up with some supposed spiritual reason for getting around what God tells us he wants us to do. Beloved, we have to be so careful about this tendency. It's so easy for us to have hearts that just don't want to do what God wants us to do in a specific area of life, but we're not willing to be honest about it before God and with ourselves. And when we're not willing to be honest about it, then we're really in trouble because we'll never come to grips with it. We'll just keep rationalizing it, justifying it. We have to come to terms with it before God and with ourselves. We have to admit it's not a trivial thing. And then we need to take it to the Lord for him to work in our hearts. That's the only real solution. Otherwise, we just continue along in life practicing hypocrisy to one degree or another. As I said earlier, all of us, all of us have to guard against hypocrisy because if we really do love the Lord, we don't want to lapse into that. It grieves us when we realize we're heading that way or behaving that way. But the scribes and Pharisees didn't care that they were behaving that way. In fact, they weren't only behaving that way, they were that way. That's who they were. They didn't merely act hypocritical at times. They were hypocrites to the core of their being which is why Jesus warned against them in Mark chapter 12. Now let's go back to our text in Mark chapter 12. In verses 35 through 37, leading up to the text we're going to consider this morning, Jesus demonstrated beyond any shadow of a doubt that it was not out of line for him as the Messiah to claim to be deity. He claimed to be the son of David, human, and the son of God, divine. Now there was no way, there was no way they could refute his lineage from the line of David because they had access to all the genealogies from the temple records. If he had not been from the line of David, they could have proven that very simply by pointing to the records. So when Jesus claimed to be from the line of David, that wasn't a point they could really argue. However, it was possible that they could have tried to argue against his claims of deity. That's why Jesus pointed them to Psalm 110, verse 1. That Psalm of David is proof positive that the Messiah would not only be the son of David, but also God in human flesh. So the religious leaders didn't have a leg to stand on. 
throughout his three years of ministry, Jesus had categorically proven to them that he was the Messiah. He proved it by his words and by his works. He fulfilled the messianic prophecies. Not only that, he has now demonstrated in verses 35 through 37 that it's not out of line for him to claim to be divine because Hebrew scripture also asserts that point. There was nothing else that Jesus needed to say or do in order to convince the religious leaders of who he was. He had given them all the information they needed, but they still rejected him. That's what prompts this warning of Jesus here at the end of Mark 12. Because the religious leaders would not submit to their own scriptures, and because they would not accept the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, and because they would not believe that the Messiah would be divine, Jesus pronounces judgment on them in Matthew 23, and he warns the multitudes about them here in this text. Notice how he does it, verse 38. Then he said to them in his teaching. Stop there for just a moment. Because this thought really hit me, even as I was preaching this in the first service. It hit me that these were the final words of Jesus to the public. Chapter 13 is the Olivet Discourse, but that was sort of a private conversation Jesus had with his disciples. This is, this is our Lord's These are our Lord's final words in public before his crucifixion. That really ought to stress how significant these words are, how important these words are. So then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces. Jesus began this brief warning, his final warning, with the word beware, or depending on your translation, the phrase, watch out. Watch out. That's an attention-getting way to begin. Jesus begins this way because he knows that many people will not take his words as seriously as they ought. So he begins by calling attention to the seriousness of this, his final public warning. Jesus understands that it is not easy to see through the falsehood of religious leaders. It is extremely difficult for for people to be able to do so. If you doubt that statement, just think about all the people who have been deceived and led astray through the years by religious leaders. Some of them even to the point of being willing to commit mass suicide. But you don't even have to go that extreme to come up with examples. The examples are almost endless. It is extremely difficult for people to see through the falsehood of those who claim to speak for God and claim to represent God, especially if they have some kind of exalted position. For instance... Look at how difficult it is for people to question the Pope. It doesn't matter that his claims to be the representative of Jesus Christ on earth are completely unfounded. It doesn't matter that his claim to be able to speak ex cathedra from the chair, divine revelation, straight from God, inspired by God, that such a claim is ludicrous. It doesn't matter. People find it difficult to question that claim or say anything against it. 
If you do question it or say something against it, you are castigated as being unloving or judgmental or divisive. So Jesus begins his warning with the word, Beware. Beware. Be careful. Watch it. Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces. They wore long robes and ornate decorations to call attention to themselves as noted scholars, as very spiritual people. And they loved it when someone would see them at the market and shout across the crowd, Rabbi, Rabbi! I'm sure they would shout back, Yes, student! They wanted to make sure that everyone knew that they were the teachers, they were the instructors, they were the bigwigs, they were the super spiritual people. They loved loud greetings in public. Verse 39, Jesus says, Also they love the best seats in the synagogues and the best places at feasts. You see, they wanted to be where they could be noticed. They loved to be noticed. They loved to be seen. They loved to be recognized. In Matthew 6, 3, Jesus said they loved to sound a trumpet in the synagogues and in the streets to call attention to themselves. They loved to pray in the synagogues, not quietly, silently somewhere over in a corner. No, they wanted to be seen and heard. That's why they loved to pray on street corners so that others could see them and hear them. They loved to make it known when they were fasting so that others would see them as really spiritual, self-disciplined, sacrificial. Their focus was totally horizontal. They didn't really care what God thought of them. It never entered their minds to consider what God thought of them. They were only concerned with what people thought of them. They were driven by a love of the praise of man. They wanted to be seen as important, significant, which is why they loved the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And in verse 40, Jesus said, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense or for appearance sake make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. They made long prayers to convince people that they were really spiritual. And they used that facade, Jesus says here, to take advantage of widows financially. You say, well, that doesn't really go on today. Don't you dare believe that. It is an established fact an established fact that the overwhelming majority of the money gained by prosperity gospel preachers comes from widows. The facts are irrefutable. The vast majority of the money brought in by prosperity gospel preachers comes from widows. Those hypocritical religious leaders take advantage of widows to build their massive fortunes composed of yachts, airplanes, and multi-million dollar houses scattered around the country. In fact, as I was preparing this very message, there was an article in the USA Today that reported Creflo Dollar, a Georgia televangelist, 
asked his followers to prove their faith by buying him a new $65 million jet. You say, well, that's crazy. Yes, it is. You know what's even more crazy? That many people gave to him. And you can guarantee that many of those people were widows. False teachers and false religious leaders love to prey on widows to get their money. Therefore, Jesus said they will receive greater condemnation. Those are fearful words. I think the NIV says it well. Such men will be punished most severely. I cannot imagine the judgment that God will unleash on false teachers and false religious leaders who prey on widows to rob them of their resources. Coming off that scathing warning, Mark gives us an example of a woman who was a contrast to these religious leaders and maybe a victim of their system. Verse 41, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. Now that's, I don't know about how that hits you, but that's shocking enough to me. Now think about Jesus sitting there watching people give their money. But that's what he was doing. He sat there watching this unfold And many who were rich put in much. This is a reference to the place where offerings and donations were given in the temple area. Jesus sat there and observed people's giving. Verse 42 tells us, Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. A mite was a Jewish coin that was worth about an eighth of a cent. This woman put in two, which means she contributed less than a cent. Since Mark's audience was Roman, he made an editorial comment for the sake of his readers. He said that two mites would equal a quadrans, which was a Roman coin that was also less than a cent. So the point is clear. This woman gave hardly anything of monetary value. But you know the lesson Jesus is about to teach. Verse 43, So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. It is possible, likely actually, that the disciples could have looked shocked when Jesus first said this. What do you mean, Jesus? She didn't give hardly anything. Well, that's true if you're measuring the gift by placing a monetary value on it. But Jesus looked much deeper. Verse 44, he says, For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Jesus knew that the reason why this woman gave only two mites was was because that's all she had. She wasn't being stingy. She wasn't being cheap. She gave her last two coins. As a study note in my Bible says, the widow exemplified true sacrificial giving. 
But there may be more to this little story. Since Mark placed this story after recording what Jesus had to say about false teachers and false religious leaders, it is possible, it is very likely, in fact, that this story serves as an illustration of what the false teachers did to widows in their system. Verse 40 says, they devour widows' houses. And this may be an illustration of that. Listen to how one man described it, and I quote, Her outward action is simply an evidence of what that system did to widows. You want the blessing of God? Give your money. She's destitute. She's got two cents left. She says to herself, either I take my two cents and buy my last meal, or I do what they tell me and send them the money and God will bless me. Does that sound like a TV preacher to you? That's the system. Send me your money. If you're down to your last penny, send me your money. Open the floodgates. God will bless you if you send me your money. He continues. This should be a warning passage to those contemporary preachers who prey on single older women who are the main constituency of people who send money to these TV evangelists. Woe to you who sell your miracle water and miracle waters to promise to heal the desperate if they send you their money. Woe to you wealthy, self-indulgent TV preachers who become rich on the backs of the lonely, poor, disillusioned, diseased, and desperate. Woe to you who indulge in your $10,000 a night hotel rooms and claim revelations from God and spend $100,000 a month on your private jet, taking money for all that from the most desperate people and doing it in the name of Christ. You will not escape judgment. End quote. What hypocrisy it is when people claim to be representatives of God and use their position to promote themselves, to promote their position, and promote their bank accounts. That is detestable hypocrisy. And Jesus warned his disciples about it. He warns them not to be confused by it. And he warns them not to mimic it. Not to follow that example. Since this was our Lord's warning, I don't want us to end this message by looking at false teachers and false religious leaders. I want us to close the message by looking at ourselves. Jesus began this section by saying, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces. Are we like that? Do we do things to call attention to ourselves so that others will know how spiritual we are? Probably most of us have done that kind of thing before. When we do so, we are acting like the scribes and Pharisees. We have the same kind of motives at times. We want people to see us, to notice us, to recognize us, to acknowledge us. Now, we can see this so clearly in the scribes and Pharisees. But it's not so easy to see it in ourselves. 
That's why Jesus warns us about this very issue, not only here, but in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back there as we close the message, back to our Lord's warning to us about this very issue. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says in verse 1, Take heed, be careful, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The key phrase in this verse is found right in the middle of the verse, and that is the phrase, to be seen. That phrase is addressing our motives. The actions aren't the main issue. The main issue is the heart. The main issue is the motive. And the problem here is not being seen. It's not a problem that others see our lives, see our works. In fact, in the previous chapter, Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the problem isn't that others would see what we would do for the Lord or hear about it. In fact, you have an example at the end of Acts 4 where because the church in Jerusalem was so destitute and and stricken with poverty by virtue of the famine in the land that a man by the name of Barnabas sold a piece of land, gave all of the money to the elders of the church to distribute to the poor and the needy. And the church was very encouraged by his example. But he didn't do that to be seen by men. He did that as unto the Lord. People knew about it. People were encouraged by it. The problem wasn't that they knew about it. And that's not the problem that Jesus is addressing here. The key phrase is to be seen. That is, your motive is so others will see and pat you on the back. That's the issue Jesus is addressing here. If we do what we do because we want to gain the admiration of others, not because we want to please God, then Jesus says at the end of the verse that we have no reward from our Father in heaven. If our goal is to be rewarded by men and applauded by men and acclaimed by men, then that's what we'll get. That's all we will get. Because God doesn't reward self-righteousness and hypocrisy and spiritual showboating. God doesn't reward that. Men may. People may. God doesn't. So Jesus said, be careful. Be very careful. Take heed. Examine your heart so that you don't do what you do in the Christian life to be seen by others for their rewards, their accolades. Be very careful. Let's bow and pray about that as we close. And Father, we want to acknowledge, admit right up front that we, we lapse into that. We have that tendency. So this is a very good warning for us from our Lord. What a gracious warning for him to tell us, be careful, take heed, Examine your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it to be applauded by men and acclaimed by men? Or are we doing it as unto the Lord? And Father, because we know our tendency, we pray that whenever we begin to slip that way, slide into that motive, that you would, you would scream at us, as it were. That you would get our attention. 
to deliver us from becoming horizontal in our focus and horizontal in our thinking and only thinking about what people think of us rather than being concerned about what you think of us. Grant us the grace and strength to be vertical in our thinking so that we do not do what we do simply to be seen by others. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.